0: Get Get ready. ready, you're about to enter
1: the Renzo Republic.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the one and only Remso Republic Podcast, broadcasting to you from the one and only Commonwealth of Virginia, coast to coast. As always, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at remso101. That's R E M S O one zero one. Follow me; I'll follow you back, folks. Um, this has been a phenomenal season. Thank you so much for tuning in. But because I'm selfish, instead of actually, like you know, talking about national issues instead of just chasing the headlines, I want to focus on something which. You know, for those in Virginia, you are gonna enjoy, but for those around Virginia, you could even be on the other coast. I think this is gonna matter to you because where Virginia goes, everywhere else tends to go. But this, um, this topic is gonna linger for as long as the media can go ahead and milk it. It's, um, it's absolutely heartbreaking when you think about it because go to go to any restaurant right now, go to any store look outside, check out your neighbor, and um, just ask yourself, when was the last time you actively looked around at the people around you and said, I hate that person because of their faith. I hate that person because of their skin color. Unless you're an absolute sociopath or, um, you know, evil, evil human being, I'm going to bet that 99.9% of you, especially those listening to this of all programs, looks around and just sees people. Apart from that, you see your friends. You see your co-workers. You see the people that you interact with on a daily basis. You see your neighbors. You see your family. It seems that on every network you turn to, it looks like we're either prepping for World War III or Civil War the sequel. Go ahead and take your pick. But what's more disgusting is when we're being driven like cattle into one bad option or another. It seems that What's happened in Virginia, and I don't need to go ahead and rehash that, but it seems like you're told you're either with the Nazis or you're with the communists. Forget about the individual. Forget about freedom. Forget about free speech. Forget about expression. Forget about everything. But it goes deeper into that. Several months ago, I actually got to debate a gentleman running for delegate named Ben Hickson. For those of you that watched that live debate, here you have two people, both calling themselves libertarians, with two completely different worldviews. I believe that what you put in the ground, you should be able to take out and own. I believe you are the ultimate person that could dictate the outcome of your life. And while I believe in freedom of opportunity what he wants is a guaranteed outcome. What he wants is to take from you to give to somebody else. What we see is grave, grave, grave distortion of freedom. And Virginia truly does lead the way. We're a bellwether state. What happens here does impact Washington. And when I see something like that, it, it bugs me. I want to talk a little bit more about this today, but I want to go ahead and bring on a good friend of the show. You remember him from season two. We've got the one and only delegate Nick Freitas from Virginia on the line with us today, sir. Welcome to the program.
1: Hey, thanks, Remzo. It's great to be back.
2: So I'm just curious. Was it ever the libertarian stance to guarantee health care? Was it ever the libertarian stance to guarantee education, to guarantee jobs, to guarantee anything, or am, am I like, you know, on the fringe with the idea that you shouldn't take unjustly from other people to give to other people?
1: Well, I, I think there's there's two issues here. One, one is the whole premise, right? One is the premise that government can even guarantee these things simply because they say they're going to provide it. Uh, I mean, government might be able to guarantee some facsimile of those things to a, a certain subset of people, but. That, that in no way ensures that it's actually that they're actually going to deliver on their promises and so i, I think the, the fundamental premise the the idea that a, a politician can get up there and say oh no no i'm a libertarian but i believe that in order for you to be truly free you have to be healthy and so therefore the government has to provide health care and in order to be truly free you have to be educated and so therefore the government has to monopolize education i mean if you're willing to accept that premise Well, then, essentially, the government can do anything, take anything from anybody and give it to whomever they decide should have it in the name of, quote-unquote, freedom. And I think what's interesting about that premise is that, okay, great, you you get to be free, quote-unquote, free from everything, except, of course, for an overly oppressive government that can take from whoever it wishes, give to whoever it decides. And as I look at our revolution and what not only we fought for, but people all over the world have fought for, the one thing they were fighting against was the idea of, of again an an over um, uh, an oppressive government that can take everything. So it you kind of it's a contradiction. If you're going to say that I why well, subscribe to positive rights and the government um, providing all of these things through force and coercion then then you're giving up the one thing that we've all been fighting for initially which was the freedom to be able to choose for ourselves, the freedom to be able to uh, produce for ourselves. And that doesn't take away the the sense of community. Again, I think Bastiat does a great job of explaining how socialists often conflate society with government. It's not the same thing. Government may, in fact, be a byproduct of society, but, but society is, is people working in voluntary cooperation with one another, not, not taking orders from a government bureaucrat or even an elected official.
2: Exactly. And I I try and always distill everything so that anyone and everyone, regardless of where they're from or their education, they can go ahead and understand my points. And with um, Mr. Hickson, you know, he stood his ground on most parts of our discussion. But there are just some things where it's like we're not even talking theoretical problems. Like you want to talk about why I don't want socialized health care in the United States. Well, one, uh, coming from a military family, let me talk to you about TRICARE. (laughs) <laughs> or you want to talk about what real single-payer looks like let's go ahead and see what happened to charlie guard let's go ahead and see how he's doing over across the pond and then you think oh the, go- the government can go ahead and compete like any other business or organization in the market they can go ahead and provide good customer service well let me tell you about the three hours i spent at the dmv just trying to get something authorized that should have taken only a couple minutes, and it's not like there were many people in line. Only it's the DMV, so the line always goes out the door. I don't, well, under- I just- yeah, I just don't understand how they think that you could eliminate all these problems just by centralizing all
1: of the authority and decision making. Well, and one of the things I like to bring up is that not, not only, not only is it a you know, a, a, a tedious solution of, of questionable morality, right? Because again, as government, you are using force and coercion in order to a- attain these things or at least to, tr- to try to develop these solutions. But I also like to point out that it's got to be one of the least creative ways to solve problems. Um, think of any problem that you face with that within your life or any problem that society faces and then ask yourself, okay, would I want millions of free people working in voluntary cooperation in order to, to develop a solution for this? Or would I want to just hand it over to the government and let a, a select body of uh, you know politically connected people, politicians, bureaucrats impose a top-down solution for everyone? And, and I think when you put it in those terms, most people like to be like, "Well, no. Why would I? Why would I ever want that to be the solution?" Uh, but again, when it when it's when it's couched in all this flowery rhetoric, um, and, and this is part of the problem, right? Whenever we talk about the free market developing a solution. You know, socialists or statists demand perfection. But then when they talk about the government crafting a solution, all they demand is, well, hey, at least we did something. And and I'm sorry, that that's not a fair comparison. You don't get to move the goalpost when, when your solutions fail simply because it, it's the preferred mechanism that you have exactly sir. So we're
2: gonna go ahead and keep this conversation going but first we've got to go ahead and pay the bills around here and hit our first commercial break folks hang on tight we have delegate nick freitas on the line we'll be back in a moment
1: let's make freedom fun again join the public
2: on patreon today. Today, today 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 hey that's really good Take the show on the go by subscribing to the Ribs of the Republic on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google
0: Play, and YouTube. Don't be left out.
2: It's time to shake up your podcast
1: feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty.
0: And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose
1: injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather
0: Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty rock and roll. Make sure to visit libertarianwingmedia.com where you can find articles written by libertarians all over the world on all of today's issues. Check out our podcast network with monthly and weekly podcasts. Check out our Libertarian t-shirt store with t-shirts like Make Markets Free Again and Make Markets Not War. And you too can become an author at Libertarian Wing Media and write what you want, when you want. Just email alexmerset at alexmerset.com. Thank you very much.
2: All right, everyone. Welcome back to the program. We're going to continue our conversation from earlier. Um, Sir, this is an odd time to be alive because people are offended by statues. (laughs) People are, um, you know, they think everything is owed to them. And being a millennial, I'm often at the end of the let's bash the next generation stick. Frankly, I think there are a lot of millennials out there that are extremely entrepreneurial. They think differently, and I think you know painting as an entire generation as entitled is you know wrong for the most part because you, you it's this collectivist mentality. It's everyone over here is bad because of this general stereotype. Everyone over here is bad because of this general stereotype because. When you take the individual out of the equation, you're instantly closing off all conversation. But going back to what I discussed with Mr. Hickson, one of the points he brought up that, you know, you have a lot of those living in rural areas of your district that don't have access to things like broadband. They don't have access to a lot of the technology that someone like me in northern Virginia has easy access to. And what he continually brings back is, you know, don't we owe these people? Don't we owe these people? My biggest problem has always been this. I think we owe people opportunity. I don't think we owe them much more. And if somebody wants to invest in something, they can go ahead and do it. But it's that it's that guilt trip you give. Oh, you don't want them to succeed? Oh, you don't want them to thrive? You don't want to give them opportunity? What's wrong with you? How is it that argument continually gets over people i hear conservatives constantly saying oh well you know your intentions are right but here's why and you know libertarians can see it as well where does that mindset come from because the issue is more than just don't you want them to have nice things of course i want them to have nice things but i don't want to have to take unjustly from everyone else to provide to just one segment of the population that has the opportunity to improve their own lives to a degree
1: well again I think there's two arguments here right there there's the moral argument what what is an appropriate mechanism for achieving the end states that we all agree on and then then what's the most efficient model for achieving it and and I'll I'll never forget talking to uh, a very intelligent woman dual phd and uh, we were you know we we're going back and forth having a political discussion and and I told her I said you know I think it's fascinating that as we talk um we both agree on the end state we want people to be happy healthy prosperous et cetera. So the difference is, is you're a lot more comfortable with violence than I am. And, and that really that really took her aback. And I said, well, think about it. Every single solution that you offer, we, we both agree on the problems, we both agree on the end state, but every single solution that you offer is a government-imposed one. And so, again, from a, from a moral standpoint, I, I have a hard time justifying, okay, a bunch of politicians are going to take from somebody else or impose rules on somebody in order to achieve something that we all want. So right off the bat, there's the moral problem. But then there's the efficiency issue. And and one of the things I love to do is I'll show people a smartphone. And I'll say, okay, I have 80,000 constituents. How many of them do you think call me up asking me to fix the smartphone problem? The answer is none of them. And the reason why is we don't have a smartphone problem. And the reason why we don't have a smartphone problem is because that's something that we've largely left unregulated, free for people to to work and, and solve problems. That's why 20 years ago, you know, your your phone or your, your mobile phone, 20, 25 years ago, was the size and weight of a brick, had almost no battery life, and could only be afforded by the super wealthy. And now almost everyone has one. It has more computer processing power than your laptop did five years ago. And, and if you were to ask anybody, hey, do you think smartphones will be even better two years from now? Every single one of them would say, absolutely. I mean, no question they'll be better. But then you look at the, the things that constituents do want me to solve, healthcare, education. These are the two things most heavily monopolized by government. And that's what happens when you take consumer choice out of the equation. I mean, yeah, it's great for Ben to sit here and say, gosh, don't we owe it to these people? The problem is is that he's mixed the question up entirely. Uh, Poverty and want is the natural state of mankind. The question is not why is there poverty. The question is why is there wealth in the first place? And it turns out as we look throughout history, those societies which have allowed people to to work and create and to cooperate and keep the fruits of their labor – Tend to be the most prosperous, and I shouldn't say tend; they are the most prosperous across the board for everyone, to include the poorest people. So this is something where he, he's he's arguing off of this false narrative, where the only reason these things haven't worked before apparently is because Ben hasn't been in charge. But we've heard that line from everyone, from you know from you know Stalin to Hugo Chavez to Fidel Castro. You know, all of these people stood up and they were the great warriors of the people, and they were going to make sure that there was you know equality. And then what do they produce? They produce famine. They produce shortage. And, and again, I don't compare Ben to any of those people on, on a moral level. I think Ben really wants to do good things for people. I think he sees uh, want and he sees problems and he wants to find government solutions for them. It's just that when the government solutions, A, produce bad results, and then B, produce a, a mechanism where we're going to achieve everything through violence, that's a problem. And I would say, going back to your initial point about millennials, this is one thing I love to remind people when I'm talking to them. I say, you know, it's it's become really, really fashionable to bash on millennials. My first question is, who raised them? Right, they didn't raise them themselves. Who raised them with this mentality that they were owed everything? And then you you need to look no farther than than the brand of politics that we've, eng- and both sides have been guilty of it, but it's enshrined in the Democrat platform, that you're entitled to stuff. And And if I tell you you're entitled to you know, natural rights or negative rights, yeah, that makes sense. We all agree on that. You have freedom of speech, you have freedom of conscience, you have freedom of religion. But if I didn't tell you, you have, you, you have a right to healthcare or you have a right to education. Now, what I have said is that you have a right to commodities and services. And if you have a right to those things, then, then by necessity, you have a right to the property, time and talents of other people. Well, <laughs> just out of curiosity, what do we call it when we subjugate some people in order to serve other people and they don't get to keep the fruits of the labor? Slavery. We, we call it slavery. We call <laughs> it <laughs> servitude. You know, but in, and no matter how we try to wrap it up in flowery, nice, altruistic-sounding language, it doesn't change the fundamentals of what it actually is. And, and again, it, it, maybe if it produced everything that they promised— I don't know, maybe somebody would make the cost-benefit analysis and say it's worth it. But we see time and time again that it doesn't do that. It produces just the opposite. And it creates a, it creates a sense of dependency within people, which naturally robs them of their independence and their freedom. And so that's the reason why I, I view it which was not only skepticism, but through the lens of history, I view it with abhorrence. I, I don't want the government taking things from people in order to, to give to other people. It becomes a fashionable way for politicians to buy votes with other people's money. And and th- I mean, that could be a short definition of corruption. And I, and I don't care how, how, again, how good your intentions are. What are the results of your policies? What sort of an incentive structure have you created? And unfortunately, the one Ben is talking about, it, it bears no resemblance to republicanism. It bears absolutely no resemblance to libertarianism. The only thing I can say about it is that at least Ben has recognized that if the Democratic Party is going to have a future, especially in a district such as mine, they've got to at least give lip service to to freedom and liberty. The problem is is that the solutions he's offering simply don't stray very far from the old state-oriented solutions, uh, uh, socialist um, playbook. And that's just not going to fly in this district. I, I hope it doesn't fly in the country as a whole. I
2: want to step back a moment, because it's pretty easy to say that you and I agree on these issues 110%, but here's the big problem. It, it goes back to this. One of my favorite places in the Commonwealth is Monticello. I, I love going there and visiting Jefferson's home, mainly because I'm envious of his giant library, but <laughs> right now we have people in the Commonwealth there are saying we need to remove Jefferson of all people he was not a saint by any way shape or form but what we're seeing is almost like an Orwellian move to not go after people's heritage not go after the other side just because you want to spite them but right now we're seeing this with Google with Apple with people just using their ability to you know use the private ownership of their business to reject service to others which is funny because now it's coming from the Democrats but Mm -hmm. what we're seeing is People are so trapped in their ossified little cells that they don't even want to have these conversations. It seems that everyone would much rather yell at each other than actually have a discussion with each other. Do you think that even though you know we could go back and forth with other people and provide the facts, the stats, and the actual history, do you think we're getting to the point as a culture where that even
1: matters anymore? I'll tell you what, let's go back to the root of it, right? Because I think that's important. And until you understand fundamentally what, what's the problem here, I think it's difficult to, to uh, you know, agree on a solution. The problem is, and again, this is something, I'm a Republican, right? But this is something that both parties have engaged in. And it is this, this mentality that, um, okay, well, the government should put up these statues. Or the government should take down these statues. Or the government should this or the government should that. Essentially, politicians have convinced all of us as citizens that the arena where we're supposed to, to solve our problems or our differences is the political sector. Well, again, the only tool that, that politicians have at our disposal is the law. It's force, right? We don't have some gold mine that we're pulling from. It, it's, we have force. That's, that's, that's our hammer. And when you're a hammer, everything becomes a nail. When you, have, when you have accepted the premise that it's government's job to solve these differences or to solve these disagreements, the stakes become so much higher because now whoever wins, their will is going to be imposed on the other side. And that's where all of a sudden you no longer see someone as someone I have a peaceful disagreement with. You no longer see it as, okay, well, you've got a statue over there I don't like. Fine, I'm going to petition to get. to. I'm going to charter a statue over here that talks about the thing I like. Um, we, we don't do that anymore. Now it's about who gets to the politicians first in order to impose their will on the other group. If we could step back from that mindset and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually engage in coexistence. I'm going to actually engage in live and let live. And if I don't like a particular statue at a park, um, I, I might not go there. But I'm going to have my own park and I want get to get together with like-minded people and we're going to erect a statue that talks about what we believe and what we appreciate. You know, that's the way that free people interact in a society when it's no longer about the government imposing the will of one side over the other, but instead it's about all sides being able to have equal opportunity to express what they feel and what they desire and and what they value and cherish. And that's how you actually get dialogue going as well. Because if it's no longer an either-or proposition where either I'm going to impose my will on you or you on me, it's one of those things where we can have a discussion, and if we disagree at the end of the discussion, we can leave each other alone in peace that's in an environment where you actually can foster greater discussion and understanding. But again, if it's all this political either-or proposition, which again that status mentality you know naturally infuses, we're going to continue to see fights like this about just about everything. Um, so I, I think this goes so much deeper than than one side wanting to uh, you know sanitize history or or another side saying that. Um, you know, the government's gotta defend a particular view of history. Really, this should be more about look, let's take more of these decisions out of the hands of government so there's no longer a force component and we can actually engage in civil dialogue.
2: Absolutely. Folks, we're gonna go ahead and hit our final commercial break. Hang on tight, the conversation continues right after this. We'll be back shortly.
0: Visit oremso for all available content. Thank you so much.
2: Hey guys, Tim Preuss here, and I wanted to take a minute and invite you to stop over to PreussPodcast.com and give our show a listen. We've got in-depth commentary on the issues that matter to you.
1: These hookers. <laughs> <laughs> <This> fucking <laughs> whores are out there. These They're... hookers, man, I tell you, Yeah, that's like the <laughs> most contact I've had with a the hooker. they yelling at you. they yelling at me at Twitter. <laughs> we break down the most pressing issues of our time. This what? large lady with, like, tight clothing on. Not appropriately linked to tight clothing either. And we get the most intelligent analysis from friends of ours, like Jeffrey Tucker.
0: And we pull over engine trouble, and, and, what happened, what happened? Uh, I don't know, it's,
1: I don't know, it's, uh, oh, I, oh, God! Seriously, though, we love putting on a show that both entertains and educates. We're growing, and we'd be thrilled if you joined us. Check out PricePodcast.com
2: for more, that's P-R-E-U-S-S-Podcast.com.
0: Make sure to subscribe to all the podcasts on the Libertarian Wing Media Podcast Network on Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher, such as the Alex Cast with interesting interviews with interesting people every week, breaking progressives, spending time every week breaking down left-wing narratives and showing what's real and what's fake, economics, why not? A weekly look at economics and applying economic principles to daily life. Better Today, a weekly podcast where we take a look on ways to improve your life and be better today. Libertarian Comments is a podcast where we play audio from the video archives of Alex Merced from his videos dating back to 2008. Liberty Public Access, a podcast where anyone can submit an episode. Submit your episodes to Alex Merced at alexmerced.com. Have you been wanting to start your own podcast? Then subscribe to Podcast and Logging Tips and Tricks, a weekly podcast about how to host your podcast, how to produce your podcast, and how to market your podcast. We'll be adding some monthly podcasts to the lineup soon, including Make Markets Free Again, a monthly look at what's going on in markets and regulation all over the world, and the Free VST Podcast, looking at free VST instruments for electronic music producers. Listen to these podcasts by going to libertarianwingmedia.com or subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And if you enjoy the podcast, tell your friends and leave a positive review on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.
2: Welcome back. We're going to go ahead and start wrapping up the show. But first, I'd be a bad, you know, host if I didn't go ahead and state the obvious. Sir, you're going ahead for reelection. You've got a lot on your plate in the House of Delegates and all that jazz. Um, you know, what's up for your legislative agenda for the Commonwealth as of right now? Because we have so much stuff changing around us. What are some of the things that are important to the people in your district right now?
1: Well, again, the, the central philosophy of, you know, what I believe on always plays into whatever legislation we carry. So our, our goal going down to Richmond again, you know, again, hopefully next year for our third session is once again, it's all about how do we how do we restrict limit the power of government and then how do we return choices back to individuals And uh, a couple different ways that we're going to do this, and some of it's a little bit more direct and some of it's kind of indirect, but one of the direct ways that we're trying to do it is through regulatory reform. One of the the, the ways that government ends up shutting down um, innovation, shutting down entrepreneurship, is through regulations. And, And a lot of times this happens because you have a particular industry that wants to protect itself from competition and they go down and they lobby and, and it's always done in the name of consumer safety it's always done in the name of public safety but in reality it's about protecting their market share and so most people i don't think understand that the vast majority of regulations which which essentially do have the force of law that are imposed on them they aren't voted on by the legislature right the legislature passes a pretty broad law the executive branch goes out and creates you know 100 le- uh, regulations in order to enforce that law and and how many of those regulations don't even meet the intent of what the original legislation was. So I've got a bill right now that says, look, if you're going to pass a, a bill which is going to institute the Administrative Act process, which is that process for going through and creating regulations, well then, if your bill passes the first year, it has to come back to the General Assembly the very next session along with all of the regulations the executive branch Uh, is Is going to use to essentially enforce that piece of legislation and we get a chance to vote on it again before any of those regulations go into play and that gives your legislators an ability to actually look at those regulations and determine whether or not it meets that intent and if it doesn't we have a chance to either cut those out and make our instructions clear to the executive branch or we have the ability to vote down that that bill. So right now the process is com- completely convoluted. We pass the bill, the regulations go into effect, and then we spend the next three to four or five years trying to go back and say, okay, well, no, that regulation is bad or no, we need to adjust this fine or we need to, we should be doing that upfront because the legislature should have its fingerprints on any sort of law that goes forward because we are the only body authorized with lawmaking ability within the Commonwealth. So that, that's, that's one thing right off the bat that, that, again, is near to dear in my heart. We've also got some other things too. I'm, we're tackling criminal justice reform. Mark Cole had a great bill with respect to um, reforming civil asset forfeiture. Oh my God!
2: Thank goodness somebody's actually going after that.
1: No, he, he had a great bill for it. I've got another one too that kind of mirrors his. The the one thing that I do that's that's different is you know again we're requiring the criminal conviction because it could, it shouldn't be civil asset forfeiture. It should be criminal asset forfeiture, and even with those assets, it should be those assets which are de- directly linked to the commission of a crime. Um, but one of the, so that's great. If we could get that, I think that would be core legislation. The other piece of it too is one of the things that we, we try to do is we try to make sure that when law enforcement seizes assets or when they write a ticket or whatever it is, all right, provided that it's been done and, and the accused has had, you know, due process, um, we don't allow law enforcement to keep those funds because it ends up creating somewhat of a perverse incentive. And so we're, we're setting up a separate fund now on civil asset forfeiture to where if you have a criminal conviction or you have a plea deal and we, we seize assets from a convicted drug dealer or whatever it is, those, those assets instead of going right back into law enforcement, they're going to go into a pool that can actually be used for rehabilitation. Um, and, and again, the whole purpose of this is we're, we're trying to get rid of that incentive to police for profit. Uh, that's another another one that I've been working on uh, a lot with my friend Brenda Pogey and, and Delegate Yost has also done this is industrial hemp, and I, I'll tell you what I get so frustrated listening to people in Richmond talk about, hey, we've got to help people in Southwest Virginia or excuse me, yeah, in Southwest Virginia, and what they mean by that is we need to transfer money around. Well, you you look at Southwest Virginia, you you look at a lot of the areas of it, you look at a lot of the great agricultural area. Those people are the rural people. They're not looking for a handout from the rest of the state. They want to work. They're looking. They they're looking for the state to get out of their way. And here we have a product like industrial hemp, which is so diverse. It can be used from anything from from feed to body armor. Um, it, it's about twice as valuable per acre as corn. It's easier on the soil. Hey, if you're concerned about global warming, great. It consumes more CO2 than most plants of its of its uh, you know genre. Basically. And, and here we are sitting there, and we're, we're allowing these archaic stereotypes to prevent us from being able to leverage uh, this plant, which is an incredible fiber and everything else. And you know what, McAuliffe had four years to address this. He's kicked the can down the road. Now, thankfully, the new Secretary of Agriculture, I, I think he is very much on board with this. But between Delegate Yost, Delegate Pogge, and myself we're really pushing to just unleash this because if we can get out ahead of this and we're already seeing the federal regulation link up with it if we can get out ahead of this we can give we can give our farmers a huge advantage over the rest of the country and not just our farmers it's the retailers that would use this product for for any number of things so there, there's a, and, and, and again, as always, we're also focused on education reform. We're going to support Delegate LaRock's bill. Because if, if we're really serious about improving education in the Commonwealth, the answer is not another government program or more mandates from Richmond. The answer is consumer choice. And if we can pre- create a marketplace for education, I want you to just think about what that would look like. You know, creating marketplaces in every other industry has created a competition and innovation it it's it's increased quality it's decreased prices and but but instead in 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 our education system right now we have a government we have government monopoly of education effectively And, and our kids are getting left behind especially especially poor kids that can't afford to escape the system and so again we need to be focused on a model that provides more consumer choice provides that marketplace for education so we can set our kids up for success And, obviously, we have a lot of other issues that we're going to be going after, Second Amendment rights, um, property rights. And, and again, we're very proud of our legislative agenda this year uh, or going into next year. So, again, that's just kind of a a brief overview of some of the things that we want to tackle in in 2018.
2: Everything you talked about, civil asset forfeiture reform, the regulatory environment, school choice, education reform, I don't know a single person that would say none of those areas need to be addressed. Because Democrats, progressives, they want to open up businesses here in the Commonwealth. They want their kids to have access to good teachers, good facilities, and a good curriculum. They want to make sure that cops aren't just stealing their stuff. And in terms of industrial hemp, that will bolster jobs, GDP. That will make Virginia the powerhouse that you mentioned. And I really hope that if there are any progressives listening, hey, this... This is where we could actually get things done. Uh, it, it absolutely bugs me when people are so polarized they're, they're not willing to work on the issues that actually match up what they believe, or
1: what they say they believe at least. Well, and, and I think one of the, one of the things, and, and you got to understand, when, when Ben moved out here from Seattle, he had lived here all of seven months before he decided to run for office. He, he, he's a smart guy. He really is. Um, but he, he didn't have a good lay of the land. And he's actually gotten pretty frustrated because the Green Party, uh, the Piedmont Green Party in Virginia, I mean, obviously they only endorse green candidates, but they've come out and said very, very nice things about me and, and have, and have uh, supported my legislation. Libertarians have supported my legislation. Republicans have supported my legislation. Independents have supported it. Even some Democrats have supported it. And, and again, I, this it, it comes back to A fundamental difference of worldview. And the one thing I will say about Ben that I find very encouraging is there are some areas where he does break with what I would call the statist wing of the Democratic Party. And I do think in some areas he is trying to pull them over in, in a positive direction. The thing is, is that he's running in the wrong district. Um, there, I, I, there's about 34 Democrats right now, which is every single Democrat in the house of delegates, that if he ran against them, he would be considered probably more uh, conservative than they are. And that's a positive thing. But that's, you know, when he was trying to challenge me on civil asset forfeiture, it was like, Ben, I've got a voting record on this. And oh, by the way, 27 of the people you want to serve with are the ones that voted against civil asset forfeiture, ensuring it's death. You're lecturing the wrong people on freedom. So, again, I, I, think, I think he needs to work a little bit more on his own party if he really wants to make them the party of, of freedom and individual liberty and property rights uh, But before he goes challenging someone that, quite frankly, I, I have a voting record on all of these things, and I'm, I'm very proud of that voting record, and we're going to continue to expand upon it.
2: Great. Absolutely great. Glad to hear that, sir. I've got to let you go. Wish we could talk so much more about this, but for folks at home that want to get in contact with your office, follow you on social media and all that awesome stuff, how could they do so?
1: Sure. So NickJFreitas.com is our is our website. Probably one of the easiest ways to get a hold of us is, hey, just look up Nick Freitas on, on Facebook come to our Facebook page you can always message us there and we can get you in touch but I know that's probably one of the easiest ways for people to communicate now same thing with uh, uh, Twitter as well Nick Freitas from VA um, again tons of ways to get in, in touch with us we, we'd love to get your support but we'd also just love to get your feedback I, I always like to say I work with all kinds of people who will never vote for me but whenever we can find those overlapping issues um, great let's sit down let's have lunch and let's work on it so that, that's the great best way to get in touch with us
2: sir thank you so much for coming on the program as always you're welcome anytime
1: thanks again good luck
2: folks no point in a long lecture here's the thing because you've heard this a million times and if you're a new listener sorry you're not getting the standard monologue but hey maybe it's an incentive to tune in next week or listen to the last 100 or so episodes we've done but listen government fails but freedom works As always, find me on Facebook if you want to connect, Twitter as well, at Remso101. Be good to your neighbor. Go out and treat yourself and do the right thing, America. Good night.
0: Stay connected to Liberty's Rabble Rouser on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episodes, blogs, and other available content. What are you waiting for?